0: We left off at verse 24, which means we pick it up in verse 25. Let's see how that works? Can't avoid anything. And this is what it says. Read along with me if you would, please. When you beget children and grandchildren, and have grown old in the land, and act corruptly, and make a carved image in the form of anything, and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you shall soon Utterly perish from the land in which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. and You will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods. The work of men's hands, wooden stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with your heart, with all your heart and with all your soul. When you're in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation? by trials and signs, by wonders, by war, by mighty hand and an outstretched arm, by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord Himself is God and that there is none other besides Him. Out of heaven He let you hear His voice that He might instruct you. And on earth He showed you His great fire and you heard His words out of the midst of the fire. And because He loved your fathers, therefore He chose their descendants after them. And He brought you out of Egypt with His presence and with His mighty power. Driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you. To bring you in and give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord Himself is God in heaven. Above and on earth beneath, there is no other. You shall therefore keep His statutes and His commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land in which the Lord your God has given you for all time. Then Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, that the manslayer might flee there, who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in times past, and that by fleeing to one of these cities he might live. Betzer, which means inaccessible spot in the wilderness of the plateau of the Reubenites. Ramot, which means heights, in other words, a place tucked away in Gilead for the Gadites. In Golan, which means exiles. In Bashan for the Manassites. Pray with me, would you please? So here we are, Lord. We're here at your feet. Seeking the one thing You said was required. Lord, we've had our times of making sandwiches. We've had our times of preparing. We've had our times, Lord, where our hands are dirtied from how they've been put to the plow. But we are choosing the better service right now to sit at Your feet and to listen to Your Word. Honor that. I know you will. And thank you for the blessing of this amazing family, the gift of this fellowship, the privilege of being able to sit here and expect you to work, not just in my life, but in the lives of all of us as we seek now to be the one at your feet, pouring forth the perfume of our own adoration upon your feet. and. And seeking, Lord, to just become one with you. So, Lord, wherever we're at today, minister profoundly. Speak fluent to us. And may we have so much fun in your word today. Lord, let us hear your voice profoundly and clearly, each of us, right where we need to hear. As we commit ourselves to you, Lord, now have your way. Redeem every second, Lord, With and breath, and depth. May every word be yours. And may our hearts and spirits be ready to receive everything you have for us now. So, Lord, get me out of your way. Take my lips and attach them to your heart and minister profoundly now, I pray. Jesus, in your name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always be your authority. In chapter 4, we have a beautiful symphony in three movements. In these movements, each one of them then climaxes with a declaration of a facet of God. Each of them, that there is some form of theme that builds and grows and intensifies and then at the climax boom there's god because god because god because god and our first we looked at it here then in our first 24 verses If you remember, God had said, listen, I need you. If you're going to follow me into this victory, let me fight the battle. You follow afterwards to gather the spoil. Well, then you're going to need to listen. And you're going to need to keep my word as it is. Don't add. Don't take away. Be careful to do it. Teach it then. And keep yourself from idols. Why? Verse 23, because I am a jealous God. There's our first movement. With the climax of God saying, listen, what does it mean to be jealous in a sinful sense? And then what does it mean to be jealous in a non-sinful sense? Because there is certainly a case where jealousy can be a very sinful thing. Based on, if you think about it, sort of an insecurity within people. But understand, in the simplest sense, this word, this jealousy, is a fire or a boiling over that comes because of a driving, hot passion for something. And I want you to start with that with me. Understand this. Before we go even any farther in our first movement, God has a hot, driving passion for you. He is not mellow, sitting back, observing aloof as a sentinel, waiting for you to work this whole thing out. He has been chasing after you before you even knew. That there was something in your nappy. He has been calling your name before you could say, Ma, or Mum, change me. He is passionate for you. And you need to recognize he's so passionate for you that he would rather die than live without you. That's the message of the cross. The message of the cross is, look it, I'm not just creating you for my entertainment so I can watch you on this silly little planet try to work out life. I am passionate for you, hot for you, not in some sick and, and perverted way, but in that way where, listen, my very being craves you. Find that in another book. <clears throat> Discover that in some other ideology. Oh, there may be this idea of tapping into something somewhere or whatever, but finding somebody that is so driven for you that his thoughts outnumber the sand on the shore. That his love for you creates sunsets, sunrises, and causes flowers to bloom in the gardens beside you and birds to sing songs from your sills because he is passionate for you. And to remove the character of all of that is we're just trying to create laws without love. Understand the idea of listening to him is because he wants to speak. Why does he want to speak? Because relationship requires communication, and it is God's burden to communicate with you to show you who He really is. Now you can try to hide it. You can plug your ears and go la 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 la. But God will not stop talking. He'll just be showing it so much that you will have to blind your eyes to see all the things He wants to show you. And that becomes what God tells us about the verdict that light has come into the world, but men that love darkness, well, actually, they wouldn't walk into the light lest it would be clear that they need a Savior because it would be clear that their deeds are evil. So understand, in our first movement, the theme that begins this is, hear me. Will you listen to me? Don't add. Don't take away. Adding would say, God loves you, but... But what? But you have to do this and do this and crawl up these steps on your knees and kneel on beans and pray this prayer 150 times and do this thing and join this club and shave your head and tap into the universe and and eat six ginkgo leaves and and sit somewhere with yogurt and whatever, and you know, whatever it is. And it's like love, but. That doesn't work. Don't add to that. Don't add to my word. And don't take it away either. God likes you. You know, His love for you has a limit. No, that's not what Scripture says. He loved us when we hated Him. He chased us when we ran from Him. He actually sought to reconcile when we were the ones who made ourselves and declared ourselves in our minds and spirits enemies to God. And He was the one who chose to pay the price. Show me that kind of love anywhere else in the universe. He is hot for you. Hot for you in the very best of ways. And how sad it is that we could give Him such a tepid response when His passion burns hot. It would be like finding one of those beautiful Italian people marrying somebody that's like, and, and I'm, 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 I'm playing stereotypes here, please understand. Somebody that's like very far east European, you know, where they're like, eh, la, 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 and they're like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, blah, blah, blah. and it's like that becomes our relationship with God. And God says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. There should be a fire. There should be a passion. There should be this point where praise should not be. We stand and lift up our hands. For the joy, shut up, is of the Lord, is our strength. Text, text, text. We bow down and worship Him now. Really? And God rejoices over us with singing? Do you ever think God's like, I love it. Hold on, i got a text. You really think God's doing that? Please understand something. As we start these movements, our first movement, and you need to know, is that my God is hot for you in the very best of ways. And what He wants... Is you, not your stuff, not your vibe. He wants you. And either everything else will line up with that, or it'll be in competition with that. And that's when he gets jealous. So in this first movement, the idea of listen to me because I love you, Don't add because you're not going to improve upon this love. And you won't get this love. You can't make up this love. You can't figure out how this love fits into the world because the world is a very broken and very dirty and very messed up and mucked up place. And you're going to go, well, I'm going to try to make up a God, but you're not going to get one better. To find a God that loves you so much that He'll take you as you are, but loves you way too much to leave you that person, well, that's an entirely different universe. Don't add, don't take away, and but please do it. Don't just know it. Do it. Be a part of this and do it. Put some shoe leather on those words and walk with me. Because my God's not just going to sit. Those moments when you're fearful, he'll wrap his arms around you. That's what Zephaniah 3.17 says. He'll quiet you with his love. And there are moments where we need that. We just need God to wrap us up and just let us and hold us tight. And we're like, oh, God, yeah, okay, I get it. You're there. But then there are other points where there's like, but there's somebody else out there that needs to know that I love them and I'm going to send you because they won't listen to me any other way. Please come with me. You got to do it. And he's like, "But listen, please don't add to this. If you'll pardon me for saying, and I'm just going to put it out as bluntly as I can, I think most people are addicted to spiritual pornography. The idea that there's so many other things out there and you could just chase after this thing for fulfillment and this thing for guidance and this thing for your identity and this thing for importance. Hey, isn't that the same thing? It's seeking to be intimate with something else for some form of personal gratification that is supposed to be reserved for the intimacy of you and God. Please hear me. God says, please don't do that. I really am all you need. And if you start chasing after other things, what you're going to find is you'll be dissatisfied with the thing you need for something you don't. I've heard someone say that uh, they've always had food in their fridge and they've always had the opportunity to eat and it's never been a problem until they started watching cooking shows. And the moment they started watching cooking shows, they open up their fridge and it looks like nothing's in there anymore. Because there's not lobster troubadour and something that's got flames coming out of it and, you know, whatever else and something that's got, you know, with the presentation. And, and it's like, and that can be the case in the spiritual world just as much. It's like we read His Word and we're like, that's right. I, that's, you're all I need. You're, I got it. And then all of a sudden we start looking out at the world and everyone's kind of going, here's something. Here's something. Oh, you need this. This will make you important. This. Then the world will stand up and take notice. And, but the one person who's, the only, only person who's ever going to know you perfectly has already stood up and t- took notice and he stood up and he died on a cross to redeem you have you said yes to that if you are please understand you did not say, to, say yes to a God who was contractually obligated to take you in you said yes to somebody who's been asking you and asking you and asking you because he's hot to hear you say yes and that's what he wants well that's our first movement second movement, of course, is a variation from the theme. And the third is called the recapitulation. That's, of course, that place on a perfect uh, sonata where everything comes together again and it comes to a beautiful conclusion. And understand in all of that, notice that's the way that this portion ends. Go down with me for a moment. Look at again at verse 40. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today. There is the recapitulation. There is that song. It starts off beautifully. Climaxes with, I'm a jealous God. I love you. I'm hot for you. Then comes this theme that variates. And then it'll come back and it'll conclude with that idea. Please come and follow me. Please listen and please do what I say. Please. Because that's the way it started. Well, look at movement two with me, would you please? Movement two then starts in verse 25. Notice that the first word is when, and don't miss the whens in this section. This will take us from verse 25 to 31, that's section 2. Our third section then, of course, will start in verse 32, and that will take us all the way to verse 39 and 40. Section 2, our variation of the movement. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke Him to anger, stop. Just like in a classic movement, it starts with the theme and pulls off of it. The theme is, I love you. I'm hot for you. I'm a jealous God. And notice, but when you force that jealousy, that's right where he's at. How does it happen? Notice it doesn't just say you wake up one day and decide you're going to be a jerk. Notice it doesn't just say everything has gone awesome and all of a sudden you eat a weird pizza and you get this strange emotion and you're like, forget it, the deal's off. Notice there is an inching away in this. That's the way this works. You can start off here in London and fall off the cliffs of Dover and move yourself a centimeter at a time. It'll take time. But you'll get there and you'll fall off. And when you do, you'll say, how did I get here? How did this happen? The most amazing thing is you can get to the point where you'll even feel the breeze and see the, the cliff and still not think anything of it till you fall off. Well, this is the way you inch yourself there. It starts, by the way, by getting really comfortable and familiar. You've begot children and grandchildren, which means now the stories are not first-hand stories. Now the stories are stories you've heard from grandpa. Let me ask you something. How many of you in this room have a godly grandfather? Would you raise your hand? Okay, Some of you are like, can you half raise your hand? Oh, no. Yeah, I don't know. Half, half godly is kind of like halfway on a train. It doesn't really work. That's when you get that beautiful stripe on your face, right? It's like, I'm halfway pregnant. Well, If the only relationship you have with God is one now where it's stories of someone else has told you, even me. What that means, of course, is that the relationship has been severed. If it's just a familial thing, if it's just a situation now where you can quote verses, but they really don't mean anything to you anymore because you know that they're probably for someone else. And you hear these great stories somewhere down the line you've gone from being at the gate ready to run to just standing on the track and thinking that was okay there was a song written a while back because somebody that I knew when I was younger and the Lord seemed so profoundly in love with the Lord and somewhere down the line they stopped running so I wrote a song once called Standing Man. And to this day, I remember the lyric because it's still something I read often to ask of my own my own walk. It's gonna, it goes something like this. I'm not going to sing it, but I'll give you a lyric. I saw you at the line at the sta- starting of the race, but you can't win a prize by just standing in place. Standing Man. You've learned to do the things that have everyone fooled, but... Is it really just business as usual? Standing man, can you still hear me? Back in the place of where I've been. I'm not trying to make you angry. I'm just trying to be your friend. If the fire of passion's hot to quench a heart that's cold, between them both is water spit out now like milk grown old. You talk of miracles and the grandest memories, but is it just to mask the silence recently? Standing man, can you still hear me? Back in the land of where I've been. I'm not trying to make you angry. I'm just trying to be your friend. We're told to run the race to win it with all of our heart, mind, soul, and will. Standing standing man, can you still hear me? So content and just standing still. Soon there will come a day when the Lord will come to take home those who would run to Him. Will you then stand alone? And I think of that because my God deserves so much more than me going, I'm on the track, is cool. And you get comfortable and now it's like, you know what, I've got enough stories to tell of how God did great things in the past. And even in things that came somehow around my life in a way that I was in the room. But man, if He was done, why doesn't He take me home? Because He's not done. And if you think that the best that God's had is behind you, man, you're not looking at the same God I am. That's hot for me and has got such great plans. You grow old in the land, which means that this thing called Jesus and this walk and all of this, now it just becomes routine. And it isn't about getting more intimate and about discovering new things and we stop being explorers and we start being settlers. And somewhere in all of that, we act corruptly. Somewhere in all of that, we stop being pilgrims and we forget that this land is only our hotel room we're checking out in. We start really trying to make this our home. And when we do that, we disconnect from the God of eternity who's drawn us with cords of loving kindness and said, I'll use you when I need you. And then, notice it says you make a carved image. Man, you're at that point now where your hands are busy making this thing. Well, let me warn you, this is what happens when you get there. Well, when you get there, you're going to be driven out. That place of fruitfulness and that place of peace and that place of overflow that some of you, or if not many of you, know well. You know what it's like to watch God do things so profoundly that all you can do is giggle and go, Wow! I want more of that. And now all of a sudden things are different. Driven out of the land of fruitfulness, now you're in a place where you say things like, I feel dry. Because outside of the land of Israel there is desert. And lots of it. And all of a sudden, that same word that you used to read, now it's sort of like reading a textbook for something that you're going to, like trigonometry, uh, not to pick on those of you who are into maths, you know, where you think, why in the world am I ever going to use this? The word for destroyed means to be loosed. Which means that which was held together now starts to fall apart. Verse 27 says, and then you get scattered. All of a sudden, the simplest way to put it is life just seems to fall apart right in front of you. The things that you thought, surely this is secure, will no longer be secure. The relationships you thought were permanent. Everything. That you're like, well, this is the given, and the givens start to be your variables. That's to try to reconcile to you math people. And then it says, and you'll be left few in number among them. Now, all of a sudden, where you felt like the majority and it didn't matter, you and God was enough. Now you feel like the outcast and you feel like it's you, and then there's the world, and you feel so small, and the world seems so big. Because, see, without God, the world is big and you're small. But with God, the world is so conquered, and you're on top of it in Him. You need to recognize there's only one essential element missing and it's the one that's Him. And He's like, I'll scatter you and you'll feel like an outcast. You'll feel like a minority. And there you'll serve their gods and you're just going to say, life sucks. Man, I'm working so hard and I'm trying so hard and I'm getting nothing for it. And man, it's like there's nothing for it. Look at the life of Solomon. Watch what happens when he turns his back on the Lord. He doubles the taxes and then he works twice as hard and he gets nothing for it. Notice in verse 28, as strange as it is, what God says about these things, these other gods. I found this strange. There you will serve other gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, got that, which can neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. I get the see, I get the hear part. Because and I understand the idea that you're wanting to talk to someone because you want a relationship and it's like, isn't it strange you gave up the, I created you to have a relationship with me. You bailed on our relationship to create something that you can't have a relationship with. You're talking and it can't hear you. I get that. It's got a mouth. It can't talk back. It topples. You have to put it back up. It can be stolen. You have to go chase after it. Scripture's full of times where people steal people's gods, lowercase g. Hey, if you've got a god that can be stolen, you've got the wrong one, baby. You can't steal my god. Please understand. He's like, okay, I get that. You get that with me, okay? God, like, do you see how strange that is? I mean, you're talking to the wall. Oh, great and mighty wall! Oh, great and mighty chunk of wood. You're so woody. God actually gets humorous about it. Like, and I'm just paraphrasing here from the Psalms. He says, listen, there's this guy, and he cuts down a, a big chunk of wood from, the, from a tree, which is where you get wood. You're probably aware of that. And he halves it. Half of it he throws in the fire, but the other half he gives to someone, and they, they, they really carve it, and, they, and then they cover it in silver, and then they have to hammer it onto something so it doesn't fall over. And then he bows down to this thing. And God's like, how does he know he has the right half? And imagine mentions like, things aren't working out. Oh, I threw the God half in the fire. <coughs> and he goes, this is strange to me. Meanwhile, I have a relationship with you, and you're turning your back on me to go and talk to Wood. I get that. But I can't eat or smell. <clears throat> well, there's something interesting when I think about eating, and that's something why we brought up this whole thing about Thanksgiving this week. As a pastor, it's a little rough sometimes because even when I'm just trying to be, it looks like I'm doing. Let me explain. As a pastor, you do stuff, right? You're, pastor, would you pray for me? And there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, would you do this? And let's go to do that. And we're going to go this. And you should probably what, you should be at the poorhouse right now, talking to people, or at a leper colony, right? Where, where, you know, whatever. And, and you, you get that. But how do you get to just love on a flock of people? To be honest, scripturally, what they did is they ate together. It allowed them to just be Christians together. And there's something about that sweet fellowship of just being. But, it's more than that. You see, God made your mouth and my mouth with taste buds. And there's argue about how much of them are in your nose. You probably heard all that stuff. So that you can enjoy it. It's interesting about smell and taste is that they're pleasure senses. It's like you'll never be able to make this piece of wood happy. But Jesus is like, come and sup with me. I stand at the door and knock, and he who answers, I will come in, and sup with them. That's not like sup. I came in and supped with you. Sup. Yeah. I ate. Like, I'm going to come in and be part of your family. Come in and be mine. And our praise, Psalmist says, let it rise like sweet incense, a beautiful, sweet aroma. I'm big on smelling good. Probably because I'm on public transportation a lot, and I'm very aware that often that's not everyone's particular conviction. And I'll be honest, there are times where I'm just like, Lord, thank you. That's that's not my smell, is it? Thank you, Lord. Thank yeah, thank you, Lord. That's not my smell. But <clears throat> and as a result of that, I'll be honest, I pick certain colognes, and, I, and this isn't have to be anyone. I'm, I'm just being transparent. But I pick certain ones for certain seasons. I picked a specific one for this last week, so that when I wear it. I'll be reminded of my trip to Malta because you know how that's, there's this strange thing about your olfactory nerves kind of recollecting to some form of memory function in your brain. And so like, I can smell that and I'm like, it reminds me of my time where I sat arm in arm on a crazy little bus with my wife on a, to who knows where on an island where we didn't know where we were going. And I think it's interesting God chose those for this thing because you need to recognize that this God that, that loves you He really can be blessed. He's a blessable God. Oh, bless the Lord. Have you ever thought about that, what that means? And where I come from, we use the word stoked. Dude, I'm stoked. What does that mean? It means I'm like happier than happy without happenstance. I'm stoked. Things are good. You have a blessable God. And you are very surrender to him can rise like a beautiful, sweet, pleasurable smell in his nose. And he wants to sup with you. Or you can pick something stupid and make it of yourself and, you know, whatever. and You know, do it in like 30 easy payments or 10 easy payments. or Well, of course, none of them are easy here in London, are they? Rent is not an easy payment in London. And you look at this and I, I get this idea. It's like, look it. When you do this, when you get comfortable and you stop chasing, you, get, you stop getting hot like I'm hot for you, and you stop getting driven to want to be closer, and you know, when you inch your way over to this thing, you start looking at stuff to touch and feel because you don't think you can touch and feel me like you used to because, well, you're not looking at me anymore. You're not looking for me. But rather, rather instead, at this point, you just, you got to have it, whatever it is. And it can be Christianese but it's still not him. And then what happens? Oh, beloved, you find yourself in this place where life is just dumb. I'm working so hard and getting nothing for it, and I feel like no matter what the case is, I'm never going to make that thing happy. I'm never going to be the thing, I'm never going to be the apple of that eye. God's like, of course you're not. Because that idol doesn't think that way. But you know the most amazing thing in all of this? Is that this is all so that God can get what He wants. You know what it is? You back. See, He's a jealous God. But He tends to work and steer with a neutral object. In this case, He allows our own desire to get enough of it to realize how dumb it is. Verse 30 says, When you are in distress and all of these things come upon you in the latter days and when you... And then when? Wait a minute. Remember where... 25, where he says, when? He's like, I know you're going to fall. Notice in verse 30, he says, and I know you're going to turn back. Does that sound like Jesus speaking to Peter? And When you turn to the Lord your God and obey His voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to totally destroy you. He's not going to forget the covenant He made. And this is our second crescendo. Our second movement variates from the idea that I'm a jealous God. It's like, And I know you. I know that there's not an if, there's a when. I know this. And here's the important thing. God entered into this relationship with you full well knowing you weren't going to be faithful. He entered into it knowing you were going to fail. Knowing that you were going to be an adulterer or an adulteress to Him. He knew it, but He didn't change His mind. He'd never stop being hot for you. He never stopped going, well, forget it. How could I possibly trust you? You can't even keep your heart stable in one place to me. No, God never did it. He says, listen, instead, listen. I love you and I want you. Therefore, turn to me and listen. And when you fail and when you fall and when you fracture and when you're faithless, you can still come back. And here's the most amazing thing. God says here, that you can actually call out to Him right there. This is what He says. He says, you've gotten to that place where you've inched yourself and you've inched yourself and you've inched yourself to that place now where you're like, you know what? You are now deep in the trenches of the most godless place you can find. I mean, you are so in a place where you're like, this is like the last place you would expect to find God. I mean, you are serving their gods. You're doing things their way. You're doing things that are so opposite of that relationship. You are whoring yourself out when you are already betrothed to a living God. And there you are in all of this, and God says, there! You can call out to Me and find Me. Find that in another book. God's like, you, you know what, here's the crazy thing. I never stayed in the car or on the bus when you decided to go and do that thing. I never said, you know what, okay, I'll wait, you can come back to me. This is what it says. <clears throat> First John 1 and 9 it says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. Literally means to lift off and to abandon. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the idea of being not right. The moment, listen, he doesn't say if you clean up your act, if you do all of this stuff, he goes, all I'm looking for is sincerity. That's what I'm looking for is sincerity. Not the sincerity of a moment where you hate your circumstances, but a moment where you realize that the biggest problem is not that you're doing this stupid thing, but that you've bailed on a relationship with the one who loves you. So he goes, look, when you do that, you can come home. And here's the crazy part. All you need to do is call me sincerely and I'll come and pick you up. Isn't that why we love the prodigal son story, those of us who are familiar with it? It wasn't just that the son was received, it was that the father came running. Man, the moment that he saw his son coming back, he wasn't going to let him take another step without him. And all that tells me again is that God's hot for you. And he doesn't change. Because man, when you do that, and maybe that's where you're at today. Hey, look, you could take some person, and I'm going to use the term expert, you know, and they're an expert. What sometimes all that means is they have a right to not listen to what God has to say because somehow they think they have a right to tell otherwise and they're okay for it. Listen, there's only one expert, and that's God. And if you disagree with him, you are an expert in nonsense. And say, so, Well, this expert said this. And you want to embrace that, that's tangible. God says, You're gonna leave me for it. But you need to know I'm merciful. And I entered into this thing for keeps. You may not have entered into this thing for keeps, but I entered into it for keeps. And I am not bailing on this relationship because I love you. Do you get it? And there's our second movement. The first, please hear me. Follow me. Don't add, don't take away. Do what I say. Keep yourself from that other stuff because I love you. And I'm passionate for you. I'm boiling over for you. And with that, when you do fail, because I know that now that I've told you that you're already in you're already route to do that, but when you do, please know you could come home. Just call me. I'll pick you up. And that takes us to our last area. And our last area, he starts to talk about then, our third movement, which brings us back to the original idea of following him. Interesting, because in the first area, it's the present. Do what I say. Listen to me. Hear me. Notice the second section was about the future. When you do this, you need to know I'm not leaving you. Could you imagine standing at the altar full well knowing that that person's going to fail you? Every human being is going to fail another. Now, prayerfully, not in some area of faithfulness, but they're just going to fail because they're human. Isn't that what people say for better, for worse? Or is it just because we assume that that's their part of the bargain? It's like, I'll take the better, you take the worse. I'll take the richer, you take the poorer. I'll take the health, you can handle my sickness. Really? Well, God has now told us the present, He's given us the future. Isn't it beautiful? Present is, I love you and I'm passionate for you. Future, I'm merciful. You need to know, as you look to the future, I'm merciful. That's not license to sin. What it is, is it's cause to celebrate. And now let's take you to your past for a moment to close this up. Verse 32, ask concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth. And ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has ever happened or has been heard. And have you even heard a story like this anywhere else? Anyone actually hear God's voice and live through it? Right from the midst of the fire. Fire? Wait a minute. Flip back in your book for a moment here, back to verse 24. Notice it says, the Lord your God is a consuming fire. Even in the fire of His jealousy, you can hear His voice? Yeah, actually. Fire, interestingly enough, throughout Scripture, tends to lead us more towards thinking of trials than anything else. It tells us, by the way, that trials have come, fiery trials have come, that your faith, which is of a greater value than even gold, which perishes, even though that's refined by fire, would be proven genuine. Whether you know it or not, fire is intended for every person in one manner or another. It's a cleansing thing if you're pure metal. And it's a dangerous thing if you're dross. But to hear his voice in the middle of the fire, that's us. We get that. And maybe some of you feel like that's where you're at right now. You're on the hot seat. Life's rough. You don't know how the next bill is going to get paid. Situations are crazy. Things take you by surprise, and you feel very daunted. You feel very jilted. You don't feel like you have your footing and things are in a place right now where it seems like the water is rising. You know when the point where the water starts to rise and at that point now you know you're going to have to swim because there's no more keeping your feet on the ground? And it starts to lift you up. You're like, oh man. Who else hears His voice? You know what everyone else does? They drown. And we hear his voice. He says, I love you. I'm committed. I'm faithful. And let's review our past for a moment. Is there anyone else on the planet you've ever seen? Any other such people that have actually heard my voice? And by the way, God started, if you remember, the calling of Moses through a fire. And then he says, to you it was shown. I mean, notice this. Verse 34, God took you for himself as a nation, out of another nation. He pulled you out of another group of people to create a whole new thing. Look around the room. Do you see that happening? You're not people of this world anymore. Now, I'm not talking about walk around with like aluminum foil on your head. I'm not of this world. You're citizens of heaven, beloved. And this... This is why, among other reasons, why fellowship is so crucial. Because without it, you know what will happen? You'll be pulled out of a society but not have a new one to get into. And what happens when your family bails on you? What happens when the people that were your homies now are like not calling you? And you know that if you're actually, there's no way you're going to walk with Christ and hang out with those crew. And I'm not even just talking about people who aren't calling themselves Christians. But when you catch the fire and fall in love with Jesus, you'll find that there's a much smaller group of people on the track because they're actually there to run. And you realize it because to be honest, they may be the only ones with shoes on. The rest are like, I know all this stuff. I'm just sitting here and I can tell you how to run. I'm like, funny, but you got flabby legs. Looks like you ain't even walked in a long time. It's like that wally where everyone's on a scooter. And you're like, what am I missing here? And I'm missing, I'm missing fire. Passion that seems to go interlaced throughout this entire and woman through this beautiful, beautiful symphony in front of us. Because What other people has God ever taken, pulled out and made something like this from? Now, if we don't get our identity in Christ, <clears throat> this thing won't make any sense. But look around the room. Do we have anything else in common but God? How many of you would you consider yourself athletic? Raise your hand. Now, be honest. Don't raise your hand unless you view. Take a look around. Okay. How many of you would consider yourself kind of studious, like you really like academics? Raise your hand. Wow, interesting. How many of you would consider yourself way social, like you're the socialite? Raise your hand. Now, looking. now, some of you, funny, because, you know, some of you I expect to raise your hand. I'm not too sure, right? How many of you consider yourself really artsy, like you're way into something artistic? Raise your hand. Now, did you see any of those that were a majority here? Every one of those was a minority, strangely enough. Now, some of you, you just kept raising your hand. You weren't even listening. You just kind of, whatever it is, I'm probably it, right? I don't know. Is it a good thing? Okay, I'm, I'm it. I'm it. Now, how many of you just like raising your hands? All right, okay. But isn't that the way the world looks? How many of you were born citizens of the United Kingdom? Raise your hand. That's a minority too. How's that? How many of you were born citizens of the EU? That still includes the UK, by the way. You can raise your hand because that's why. Okay. How many of you African? Raise your hand. Do you realize that? Yes, okay. How many of you from part of the Americas? Raise your hand. Look at that. Okay. How many of you Asian, of Asian descent? <laughs> should have brought your wife. Um, just kidding. Uh, well, you should have. She's in, anyways. So there were no majorities there either, huh? I won't ask about age or weight, because that's just not cool. What do we have in common? We have Jesus in common. Isn't that beautiful? If it was about being studious, some would have the upper hand, but it's not. It's about Jesus. If it was about being socially gifted to draw people in, some would have the upper hand, but instead it's about Jesus. If it was about being artsy so that we'd make sure that when, when the music was playing, somebody was painting on a pillar and somebody else was doing a dance in the back end. Look it, by the way. I'm not telling you guys, well, you can't paint on the pillar. It's not our pillar to paint on. But... I, you know, it's like we leave the room in the back for people that want to dance, by the way. But notice we put it in the back, and I'm not trying to say that in an uncool way. I'm saying in the sense that I want you to be free to do it for the Lord and not make sure that other people aren't scoping you out or whatever. That's, you're, it's between you and the Lord. But please hear me on all that. You, you can't you don't have to. The point is this, is that if it's about Jesus, you are free to love him. And we won't see each other as black or white of what descent, what citizen, because we're citizens of heaven. It won't be about who's old and who's young. By the way, the older I get, praise the Lord for that. You know, and whatever, because the point isn't that. The point is, is that God took us from all kinds of other societies and put us together. And we are like the wackiest omelet God's ever made, in my opinion. And I love it. I learned it about England. One of the things I've learned about England is it's like I think sometimes cooks just close their eyes, grab six things, and make something with it, and it turns out cool. They're like, okay, a uh, lime and, you know, and curry and this and something else. And uh, while we're at it, let's put, you know, in a small, whatever, animal in it. And you're like, wow, okay. And then that's great. And he did, he's doing that with this recipe. That's the point here. For you was shown, verse 35, that you might know that the Lord himself is God and there's no other, just him. He lets you hear his voice so that he could teach you. You're not making this up. There's not some expert other than him. I'm an under-shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. I'll never be. My job is to be able to take my calls from the coach and challenge us to get on our shoes and go for it. He showed you his great fire. You heard his words from the midst of the fire because he loved your fathers. Therefore, he chose their descendants after them and he brought you out of Egypt And I love this. Notice the two things, presence and power. Do you see that in verse 37? Not if you do. I'm asking you that question. Can you see both presence and power there? Look at that beautiful balance, by the way. We're almost done now. There are those that really want God's presence because what they want is something esoteric. I just want His presence. I want to feel this beautiful saturation. And that's a cool thing, but in that there's, there's, there's this... It's all I wanted, and again, I'm just talking about it from a sort of a standardized, sort of way, unique, isolated perspective of that's all I want. All I really want is God's presence. But you need His power too, because His power is what uses you to, to bring other people there. And there are those that want God's power. What they really want is they want to be able to stand and wave their hands and go like this and shake their coat and everyone goes like this and falls and all of that. But in it, they don't want God's presence because there's presence you have to submit to that. It's like God brought you out there with both so you could have an intimate relationship with him and then he could use you to draw other people to that intimate relationship. There's the power and presence. And a healthy fellowship should, be bo- should have both. Well, we recognize God's presence here so we know intimately that he's ours and we are his. But then his power is there to use us to draw other people into that same thing. And then he says, and then he booted on a bunch of giants so you could go and take their land. Now, tell me anywhere else in the world where you've ever seen that. It's like, in the end of it all, God has this amazing plan to use you, and there's nothing that's going to stand in his way. And doesn't that remind us of how this whole thing started? This whole thing started with, Joshua, lead these people by following Jesus or by following God who will fight your battle. You need to hear him and follow him because he's already taken down all of these other giants. Why would you fear the giants that seem to be in the land right now when they are nothing compared to this God who's been taking down every other giant since you've been watching him? And now he goes back to the beginning of this. Because he really is the only God. And that's our third climax. That's the way this whole thing starts to seal up. He's a jealous God because he's hot for you. He's a God who's merciful so that when you are stupid, you can come home. And then you discover in the end of it all, he's really the only one there is. All the other things, they don't smell, they don't taste, they don't eat. And they're really just empty, sorry substitutes. They're shells of a promise that will never be fulfilled. And there's a God who is intimate and hot for that relationship with you and everything else. And think of it, I understand why people kind of go with something more esoteric because then they feel like they can be in control. But the moment you have to surrender yourself to a living God, you have to hand your control over to him. And that takes faith. And that, by the way, is a real challenge. It's easy to say, well, look at I could just sort of call in the, the, this and that, and I'm going to align these stars and all of this stuff, because there really is no way to challenge that. And in the end of it all, you can decide how much of that you want. But if you're going to go with God's power and presence, you submit to His presence, and then you assume His power so that he can, you can do His will. And there's a beauty in that. But in that, man, you've got to sit and you've got to follow. So listen, as we go to prayer today, Chances are one of those is probably your battlefront right now. For some, it's the present right now. And it's like, you know, to be honest, the issue is just that I don't know about listening to them. I'd rather make up my own rules. Well, don't worry. You'll make them up up long enough to get permanently tattooed by dumb choices you've made and their repercussions. You want to walk around with that? You can, but you don't have to. He doesn't just say sit with me, though He will call us to sit with Him for intimacy. and Then He'll say, come follow me. And as we follow Him, we surrender. We follow. Because He's hot for you and He wants to take you with Him. And my God is on the move in London. And He wants to incorporate you into that movement. So maybe that's the issue. It's just hard to get up and follow because you'd rather just kind of sit in your own pew. That's what people, when dead people rot, they do that too, right? They sit in their own pew. You're aware of that? Anyways, maybe the issue is the future and you're just afraid. And, and usually this is the big one, right? I mean, if we're going to really just rip our heart wide open and lay it naked before everyone, here it is, I'm really afraid to follow and do what God says because I'm afraid to fail. How? You're afraid to fail because you're afraid you'll do something. God's like, I already know you're going to fail, but there's always mercy. That's why you need to know when you look at the future, I'm a merciful God. Because you need to know that following me, you're going to be human. And there'll be times that you'll be convoluted with your own personal things. And here's the good news. I'm still merciful and I'll never stop being. So you want to look at your past? Maybe that's the issue. And maybe when you look back there, what you see is horrible things that have happened. You've seen how you feel like you'll always be damaged. You feel like you'll always be this because, man, I made these choices or these things happened to me or this is the case. And God goes, whoa, 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 whoa. stop. You're looking at the wrong past. The past you're looking at is the part that I killed and buried. Stop trying to resurrect what I've laid to rest. Let me tell you the right past that I have given you now. I took you out of bondage And I made you my own. And I did it with my power and my presence. And I laid to waste giants that owned you, that ran you, that were slave drivers, that were tyrants for you. And I laid them to rest so that you could assume that land and say, now that's your land. You're free now. Stop living in a place that doesn't exist except in your own mind and heart took it and laid it to rest. Now, here's the new past. The new past is, I took you out of that and made you mine. That's what I did. And so because, you know why? Because I love you. When you look at your past, you know what I want you to see? I love you. Follow me. When you look at your present, you know what I want you to see? I love you. Follow me. When you look at your future, you you, you know what I want you to see? I'm merciful because I love you. Follow me. You want to find that someplace else? Good luck. Actually, there's no luck involved. I don't believe in that anyways. The offer's here. But as we go to prayer, let's get serious. Because if He's this hot for us, what would happen if He made us that hot for Him? Can you imagine? Pray with me, would you please? Lord, thank You. Thank You, Lord, that somehow in all of this beautiful symphony, You've called all three portions of our life to this stage. Our past becomes then a beautiful dictum of Your grace. Your removal, Your rescue. Oh God, the fools we could be to somehow assume that we can do better. Feeling we have a right to repaint black what you've covered in blood. And God, I pray that when we look at our past, we see your rescue. And we see that we are a new creation in you now. And Lord, if that becomes the battlefield, and we've given ourselves rights to do all kinds of things because of what we've said in our past, Lord, I pray right now that you would dispel and shatter that facade and set us free today. Set us free today. And show us that our past is one of your rescue. That you didn't just pull us out, but you pulled us out to make us yours. By your presence and your power laying waste all the things that once were the permanent damagers of us. The things that once tattooed our soul. Those things, Lord, that once just constantly were like a permanent amputation Lord to the perfection you still have ahead of us Lord the beautiful things that you have ahead of us you are perfect and amazing power shining through us set us free now and if we want to argue with you about that because some guy with glasses and a bunch of letters to his name seems to think otherwise remind us let every man be a liar you're still be true Pray for those who are in the battlefront, Lord, where they look at the future. They've trusted in You, but they're afraid to follow. They're afraid to be full on because they're afraid somehow they will fail. Show them that the only real failure is not obeying You. And even there, You are a merciful God who is quick to forgive. You've told us, Lord, that what You're asking for is sincerity that we would seek You with our whole heart and our whole soul, that we wouldn't give some form of half-hearted confession and assume perfect restoration where we're still knee-deep in our own sin and wanting to stay there. God, show us the amazing miracle of just stepping forward with You and following You. And it all boils down to this moment right now in the present where I just love that that's where You brought this thing to start with where in the present You are hot for us. You are a God who boils over in passion for us in the best and rightest of ways. And the fury of Your love for us, the waterfalls cannot quench. The very depths cannot stop. You've told us that if we were to obey you, the world would see that that's wisdom. Our wisdom and understanding would be to just do what you say, to follow it and by faith trust you. Even if we don't understand it completely, the best understanding we can have is that you know better, so following you makes sense. Let the world see in this fellowship a society you have created of people who are quick to obey you even when we don't understand what in the world's going on. Because we don't have to because we're not leading this. And in this room right now, this whole thing boils down right to the act of the cross. Because that's where all of this meets. Where God showed His powerful passion for in His presence. By coming to earth and walking among men, that His presence be accessible. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And yet, by His power, took your and my sins upon the cross and died there. Just like Scripture promised was buried and just like Scripture promised, rose again on the third day. And there, the very power of God, not just to take what we were and bury it and pull us from that Egypt, but now in His resurrection to show us a new world of a tight and beautiful and intimate relationship with Him. And so, in this room I ask, have you said yes to Him? Have you said yes to that gift? We recognize that gift is more than just saying... I don't want to go to hell. That gift is saying yes to an intimate relationship with the God who created you to follow and submit to Him from this point forward. Now that's a different story. As a child, we willingly accept His adoption, His leadership, protection, and provision. As the pursued and the love, like a bride, we gladly accept His leadership, His provision, His protection, His pleasure, and His presence. Same with the Father. Maybe you've been here and you recognize that even in your own heart, though the world may think otherwise because you've done a good job of fooling them, but right now you recognize your heart's really not been where it needs to be. Well, right now, as we say yes to Jesus, I invite you to say yes to Him with me. I pray a prayer and at the end I ask You to say Amen. And what You're saying is I agree. Let that be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, in Heaven, I've been trying to make this up my own way. Create my own rules. Do it my own way. And You've revealed to me that that's, of course, foolish. You are so burning for me. So desirous and craving of me. And I have robbed you of that. But today I change that. I publicly declare today that I am yours. And to declare that, Lord, I know that that means that there will be changes you'll need to make in my life. But I'm making that call come and pick me up and take me home. Make me yours. The price was paid at the cross. All of my sins have been vanquished. The new life has been offered. The empty tomb demonstrates that you've conquered death and all that's involved in it. So I declare Jesus as my Savior at the cross and my Lord at that empty tomb. And say now, put me in that relationship I was intended for. Please. Please. Wash my past, Lord. Let me not use that as some kind of card to sin or to be spiteful or whatever. But rather, Lord, may I look back and instead of just seeing a graveyard of damage, instead, may what I see is a as a garden of Your grace. In my future, remove any fear of following You, replace it with faith. And in that. Remind me that no matter what step I take, I am following a merciful God. And now make me quick to hear, not to add or remove, but to do and to listen and to follow and to be faithful even as you are to me. As I declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior, Father, I declare you as my Heavenly Father. I surrender myself to you now. May I burn with a love for you That is as unvanquishable as yours is for me. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Finally, with your heads bowed, keep your heads down for just one moment, please, and then we'll conclude this. If you've prayed that prayer today for the first time, or the first time in a long time, could you just look up and get eye contact with me? And what you're saying is, I just want you to know I've prayed that prayer. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I just want to know who I'd be praying for this week that way. I see you. Who else today? I see you. Who else today? Oh, thank you, Lord, for this brother and sister. Anyone else today? Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for those who've said yes to you today. But, Lord, let that be every one of us. Not because we have to say yes every time, Lord. Once is enough in that sense. But, Lord, just the same way. And in marriage... Every day you wake up, and I know what it's like. I say, I do agree to say, I do every day for the rest of my life. And that's, that's, Lord, what I want here for us. It's just that willingness every time just to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. So have your way now and lead us, we pray. Jesus, even as you have led us, lead us all the more. Jesus, in your name, amen.